to the Engaged Midwife Podcast. This is Kara. And I'm Missy. And today we want to talk to you a little bit about one of the guideline organizations that provides a lot of guidance on health promotion and primary care. And that's the United States Preventative Services Task Force, or USPSTF. It's all that primary care stuff that midwives and midwifery students say that they never get enough of. Yeah, and it's a really nice way to organize how you think about what counseling should you do for individual patients, what should you offer as screening, that sort of idea. And the United States Preventative Services Task Force is an independent group of individuals that pull together all of the evidence that can be found and that's available on things such as folic acid supplementation um, to prevent neural tube defects, such as our breast cancer screening, um, pap testing, all of those different screenings and counselings that we should be doing for patients. And they make recommendations for those screenings, and then they grade them. And the grades are what are really helpful in knowing this is where we have the most evidence or we don't really have any evidence at all. So if we think about kind of our grade A recommendations, it means that the United States Preventative Services Task Force recommends the service. There is really high certainty that the net benefit is substantial and you should offer or provide that service to individuals that meet the right criteria. And then you can imagine from there, it kind of goes down a little bit to a B means that they still recommend the service and there's pretty high certainty that the net benefit is moderate or there is at least moderate certainty that the net benefit is moderate to substantial and you should offer or provide that service as well. From A and B, we go down to C and that's where we're really, you know, you could selectively offer that service. You could really take the patient characteristics and their desires and help identify whether or not you would want to offer that to the patient, whether or not they'll take you up on it. But it's kind of hard to tell that there's really great evidence that we would have even moderate or high success with that. And so that you really have to independently and individually kind of determine if it's the right test. For D, it means that the United States Preventative Services Task Forces don't offer this service. There's moderate or high certainty that the service doesn't have any benefit or that the harm outweighs the benefits. And so we would discourage the use of that um, counseling, screening, testing, so forth. And then the last grade is an I. Um, and for I, it concludes that the current evidence is insufficient um, or the balance of benefits and harms just is not really well established. And so, you know, you would want to look at clinical considerations to de- really determine whether or not that would be appropriate, but we just don't have good evidence. And so patient desires might go into that on whether or not that would be something you would want to do. So I understand that the USPSTF also um, sort of categorizes by age group. And what do those age groups look like? You know, we would have our adolescents um, and then going into our adults and our seniors. There are recommendations on pediatrics, but obviously that doesn't really tie in for the midwife. But more so our adolescents and adults and then our geriatric patients. Is there a good resource for this, Kara? Oh, there's an app for that. And so um, I love the USPSTF um, app that they have available. It's really easy to use. It can be very individualized for your patient based on those characteristics. It will ask you their age. It will ask height and weight, 
whether or not they're sexually active, whether or not they use tobacco, um, and you know, whether or not they're pregnant. And it's really nice that you can individualize it and pull it up right in the clinic with the patient and say, here are grade A recommendations, here are grade B recommendations. And if there's a test that they're talking about and asking about, and you know that it's a C or D, you can have a really frank conversation about what the evidence is available. I also love their website. If you go to the website, you can click on recommendations and then there are filters there. And so what I've gone and done is I have gone to the website and I've clicked on what are the published guidelines that are A grade. And then, um, and then just click that what are the A grades for females of all ages. And so the nice thing on the website is that it, it gave me a nice, pretty comprehensive list of what all the A recommendations are. And, you know, some of the things that are on there are, um, what we talked about with folic acid or cervical cancer screenings, um, also, you know, HIV screening, which is something that we don't normally think about all the time with our female patients. I think it's really great in the app and on the website as well. If you want more information about not just offering the screening this one time, but how often should I offer it? What should be included? Exactly what counseling should be involved when we're talking about promoting breastfeeding or that sort of thing. If you click on the specific guidance, it gives you a lot more information, which is really helpful. So I think it might be helpful to our listeners to talk about maybe a few different age groups and what the A recommendations may be. So maybe, Kara, we could start with the patient who's 25. Yeah, I, perfect idea. It's, it's kind of our classic reproductive age individual. Um, I've put in to the app that she is of normal weight, that she is not using tobacco, she's not pregnant, but she is sexually active. And the grade A recommendations would be cervical cancer screening, that we know that we start that at age 21 and offer it every three years in the 20s. And then not forgetting our folic acid supplementation and that we should offer HIV screening to all individuals between 15 and 65. Um, Also screening for blood pressure and then offering syphilis screening as well if they're at increased risk, which may be um, sexually active individuals, but it could also be individuals in really high incidence areas and so forth. I think that those recommendations are great. I also noticed some things that we might have um, recommended previously that aren't on that list now. So self-breast exam, clinical breast exam has dropped off the list of things that are grade A recommendations. Absolutely. And actually for self-breast exam and clinical breast exam, the United States Preventative Services Task Force would say we shouldn't do those at all. And so they're not even an A or B at this point in time. So what I'm hearing then as we're exploring this um, concept is this is just a really great way to make sure you're doing the right screening tests for your patients. Exactly. And that it's not all just screening tests and lab draws or that sort of thing. But if we went down to like the grade B recommendations, we're thinking about we should be promoting breastfeeding, that it is a primary care prevention for not only the woman in reducing her breast cancer risk and so forth, but it is prevention for that child in their lifetime that they can reduce their risk um, with breastfeeding. It could also be our gonorrhea and chlamydia screening. It could be um, assessing for depression and doing a valid and reliable depression screen on people in primary care. It could be thinking about, you know, prevention of intimate partner violence. Um, It could be screening particularly based on certain high-risk categories, tuberculosis screening, that sort of idea. So I'm curious, Missy, if we wanted to think more of middle-aged, I hate to say that for a 45-year-old since I know 
am that. We resemble that remark. We do resemble that remark. But what would it look like maybe for a woman that's 45? Does it change our A and B recommendations? So it does a bit. There are a few different recommendations for that that same woman. And and again, we're thinking of the non-smoking, sexually active, normal BMI person that, you know, we're we're considering in this scenario. Um, again, those cerv- for, for A recommendations, those cervical cancer screening still comes up, which it should because that's women 21 to 65. Um, we can do folic acid if that woman is still, you know, planning um, or capable of pregnancy. Um, HIV is still on that grade A list. Um, we screen that in for mostly pregnant people in that age group. Um, but um, now we're adding a high blood pressure screen. We're looking at screening for blood pressure and, and monitoring of hypertension. Um, and then um, syphilis is also on that list, checking if the person is an, in an at-risk category. So the things that we're really going to be focusing on for that 45-year-old patient are going to be the cervical cancer screen um, and then that blood pressure screening that, that are... So these are you know, fairly healthy women. But if you go down to the B recommendations, there are a lot of recommendations here that are very much based on risk, which is what you talked about with the 25-year-olds. We would recommend BRCA testing for anybody who has family history of breast cancer or um, ovarian or tubal, any of those GYN kinds of cancers. Um, You know, we recommend breast cancer screening then for women who are at high risk. But that's the things you were talking about as well. Like, would we do gonorrhea and chlamydia if they're in an at-risk situation? Would we look at um, would we look at things like statins for people who have cardiovascular risk? Um, would we look at potentially osteoporosis as a B recommendation, especially for people who have early menopause? Mm-hmm. So if you're 45 and menopausal, then certainly we should be looking at osteoporosis, and that's a B recommendation. Great. So what happens then for that patient when they're 65 is kind of the cutoff. So what happens if they're 66? Well, actually, I typed in 70. And I also made this individual obese, um, because we do have a lot of obese patients in our care. And so it does change things up a fair amount. And you're right, kind of 65 is that cut off for a lot of screenings. And so I didn't want to put in 65. I went to 70. So for 70, we're definitely thinking about colorectal cancer screening. Um, And that can be a really important grade A recommendation. And then our other grade A for these individuals would be that high blood pressure monitoring and screening. If someone has a diagnosis of hypertension, do they have home blood pressure monitoring? Um, You know, there's some of those high risk of like, using um, pre-exposure prophylaxis or PrEP for HIV positive, you know, people that would be at risk or the syphilis. Because again, just because you're 70 doesn't mean that your risk disappears. And so we would want to individualize that. The notable things that have dropped off of this list are cervical cancer screening. Yes. And there are no grade A recommendations for breast screenings. Exactly. But definitely we do have our breast cancer screening in this age group. And then also, as you mentioned, um, if there's family history of gynecologic cancers and so forth, thinking about our BRCA1 or 2, would we potentially use medications um, to help prevent breast cancer in certain individuals? We still have our... uh, normal um, screening mammography for women um, age 50 to 74. This is one of those areas with breast cancer screening where the USPSTF differs 
from ACOG. They differ from the American Cancer Society. And so you want to know who's making the recommendation and what are you following in practice. Um, And then we can't forget our other primary care things, such as our depression screening, screening for diabetes, um, thinking about really healthy diet and physical activity counseling to help prevent that cardiovascular disease, and then any screening for infections. You mentioned osteoporosis. It's really important as we get into our um, elderly population. And so really screening for osteoporosis so we can prevent fractures, particularly because these individuals might be at increased risk for falls. So that's kind of a kind of a basic summary of our different age groups and some of the A and B recommendations. Um, I recommend using the app and getting really used to it. And potentially, you know, for our students and new grads, as you're preparing for your certification, come up with scenarios, come up with different patient characteristics and scenarios that you could test yourself on and then go look up what are the A and B recommendations. Also, the USPSTF does a really nice job of outlining um, different methods for screening and assessment. So for example, um, you know, we've talked a lot about health behaviors. And so the USPSTF will talk to you about the five A's framework, which is ask, advise, assess, assist, and arrange. So that gives us a framework by which to, to, um, to assist our patients in, you know, making positive change. They also do a really good job of talking about those valid and reliable tools for coming to diagnosis as well. So I kind of classically think of our depression screening in primary care, then maybe we use the PHQ-9, which is the patient health questionnaire, or the PHQ-2 is our basic screening. And then if we would have a positive screen on that, going to the PHQ-9. But they do a really nice job of talking about those valid and reliable interventions and tools. Right. And sometimes, you know, in the office, we don't see a big volume of patients who have alcohol use or abuse disorders. And so it gives us, you know, what kinds of frameworks can we use to, to talk through those kinds of behavior changes with patients. So it's not just this list of primary care topics where it tells us whether we should or shouldn't screen someone. It's actually a really great tool for, you know, maybe this screening isn't in my toolbox and I need to put it there. I need a quick reference by which to like decide which of these assessment techniques I'm going to use. Yeah. So we mentioned the app and it can be really helpful, but then you mentioned the website and that would be one that I would definitely have bookmarked on my, on my computer. Awesome. Um, You know, we did do a podcast recently that talks a lot about apps. And I I think that there are some great apps that have some primary care things. Um, One of my favorite resources for primary care is actually the five minute clinical consultant, Mm -hmm. because um, that book or that app really gives you like a down and dirty review of pathophysiology, diagnosis, screening, and treatment um, in a very concise way. So I think on top of this USPSTF, what should, how should we screen and how should we do those things, it's also, I think, important for us to consider what our resources are for primary care. Absolutely. And we didn't mention it in the app conversation, but ACOG has an app available where they talk about the components of a well woman exam. And then nurse practitioners in women's health or NPWH also has an app where they talk about what components to include in a well woman visit. And that could be something that would be helpful to people as well. I agree. Well, thanks for joining us today. We're, we are over the moon about being able to give people, you know, tangible uh, tools 
usable tools that, you know, they can put into practice quickly. And not just for our new grads and our students, but really thinking about practicing clinicians and how we can make our work more effective and efficient and really evidence-based. I agree. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Thanks.